It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Are you ready to talk Padres baseball? We've got you covered. Now is the right time to bring back Padres Social Hour as we await the start of the regular season. Friar Faithful, get ready to sit back, relax, and join the conversation. Now, coming to you from everyone's homes around San Diego and beyond, it's Padres Social Hour with your host, Jesse Agler. And good evening, everybody. Welcome to Padres Social Hour. I am broadcaster Jesse Agler, and very nice to be with you. Thank you for being with us as we begin another very exciting edition of Padres Social Hour. Good friend Mark Sweeney will join us a little bit later on in the show as we talk about some of the top bench players in Padre history. Article today on MLB.com, Padres.com, about that very topic, written by AJ Casabell, who joins us, as does, of course, Padre broadcaster Bob Scanlon, who has one social hour forever with his KT Wiz hat. Scans, this was a heck of a surprise today. You know, it, I, I was just so disappointed at what was going on with the bullpen with the Wiz the last week. So I call him up. I say, hey, let me go down there to Swan. Let me have a little workout. I go down there, and things went swimmingly well, Jesse. I gave up a home run of the first two guys that I faced in the simulated game. I hit the third guy, and they said, you'd be perfect for our bullpen. You'd fit in perfectly. So I'm waiting <laughs> for them to call back my, my uh, agent, who's Jerry McGuire. And, of course, with Jerry, I said, hey, I don't need you to show me the Quan. Just show me the Wan, which, of course, is the currency in Korea. So, unfortunately, as you guys know, they went on a three-game winning streak. So, here I am. They said, get out of here. Take the hat. Jesse, I was able to get you one as well. AJ, they only let me take two through customs. So, I'll go back down and I'll get you a lid as well. But it's, Yeah, it's I really good appreciate boys. that because I've been searching for a KT Wiz hat for a long time now. And that looks really, really, really sharp. And they are the hottest team in, the, in baseball right now in the world. So, let's go Wiz. They yeah, are. They, They're on fire. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm sure we'll talk about them later, right, Jeff? Oh, yeah, yeah. Swept Samsung over the weekend. Uh, game one of a three-game series against the Hanwha Eagles began last night, and, oh, we'll break it down. <laughs> and quite a game to break down. <laughs> the uh, infamous Wiz bullpen did their thing again, and uh, it, was, it was pretty entertaining. So we got a lot of fun stuff to get to. Again, thanks, everybody, for joining us. You know, I, I, somebody mentioned to me on, on social media, hey, Jesse, you're not answering our questions enough on Social Hour. So two-pronged response to that. One, I am sorry. You're right. I'll do a better job of keeping my eye on the questions that come in. Uh, but number two, you know, there's not a lot of questions because, unfortunately, there's not a lot going on that's new every single day in terms of baseball. Everybody has the one question, the main question. When will we start the 2020 season? Will we start the 2020 season? And there's no way to answer that uh, any differently, unfortunately, uh, today than there was a day or two ago. But we can provide new information, and we've been trying to do that. So with all of that in mind, guys, sort of the latest uh, on baseball 2020, there was apparently and reportedly a, a big call uh, amongst the Players Association leadership. I think, uh, what, 130 players, maybe more, on a call last night. All 30 teams were represented. Uh, the call itself took about three hours 
Mainly, per the reports, the conversation focused on the health and safety uh, guidelines that Major League Baseball had proposed to the players. They were kind of kicking that around a little bit, what they liked, what they didn't like, what they want to come back to MLB with. And they do uh, they are expected to go back to Major League Baseball with their comments, suggestions, whatever um, later on this week. So progress is being made. There is a soft deadline, you know, of some time in the next couple of weeks. I would guess if I had to guess. Something will be figured out like right at that deadline. That's generally the way these things work. Um, but Scans, as a guy who's very involved in the Players Association uh, during your time, what's a call like that like? Because obviously you've got guys from different backgrounds who have different priorities, who have different interests. Um, that, that can't be an easy crowd to corral, I'm guessing. No, it's not. And it's really a fascinating call because to your point, you are hearing perspectives from all different types of, of guys. And it's interesting because a lot of times in, back when I was a part of it, we were able to actually have a meeting and, and get everybody together. But of course, given the current situation, everything is done over the phone. So it's a little bit different. There's usually two or three guys that have forgot to push their mute button. So everyone's yelling and screaming about the dog parking in the background. But as far as the meeting goes, yeah, there, a lot of times guys get very vocal. There's guys that feel very strongly about certain things, and it's a chance for them to share that. And that's what the, the leadership of the union needs to hear. You have all your player reps, your assistant player reps, and hopefully some of the more established players. But at the same time, with these meetings, Jesse and AJ, you really want everybody's opinion. It's not just the older guys. Oftentimes, you want the younger players as well to make sure that you get a broad perspective and feeling about what are the issues for the various facets because you got to remember you've got young guys that are trying to make their major league debut all the way up to the veteran guy who is really concerned about his family so fascinating meetings there's a lot of give and take a lot of back and forth um, but the bottom line is hopefully at the end of it there's some constructive input from everybody and you have a sense of okay what are the true issues what do we need to go back to ownership with and what are the things that we really are going to dig our heels in on what are some of the things that we may be able to compromise on and I'd imagine that these meetings are, are pretty unprecedented because, I mean, you, you've had similar discussions before about maybe labor issues and, and pay and that kind of stuff. But this comes from a, uh, completely out of left field in terms of the pandemic and how, how you can play baseball through it and how you can play baseball in circumstances with no fans. And so it's not like, yes, you have something to fall back on in the sense that you have a, a union that it has accomplished a lot in the past, but no, you don't have substance to fall back on in terms of how to figure out how to keep everyone safe and how to go through this process and understand here's what we need to do to get a baseball season started and then how to iron out the economic aspect of it and the season aspect of it and the schedule and the playoffs. And, and so it's just all, it, this is not, this is, this is just so new. And obviously there's bigger issues than ironing out the baseball season and the baseball schedule. But like you said, Jesse, these things tend to get ironed out at the last minute. Well, in this case, it makes a lot of sense for it to get ironed out down the road because there are just so many things to work through. Not only that, and I think you made a great point, AJ, in that in the past, I think there was always that solidifying issue for the players in the background, which is, look, it's all for one, one for all. We're, we've always stuck together and everybody sort of has a similar interest in mind in terms of we're trying to do what's best for the game and we're trying to do what's best for the players as a whole, as you know, membership as a whole. In this situation, I think there's more guys that are taking it with a personal tilt. You know, they're guys that are truly fearful for their health. They're fearful for the health of their families. So it's a very unique situation in that respect as well in terms of it's, it's more personal in some of the decisions that some of these guys are making and less what is best for the constituency as a whole. But obviously, um, again, those are things that everybody has to work out. And I hope we don't come into a situation, guys, where there are certain players that choose not to play, but that may be the case 
And AJ, to your point last week, I know we we had some discussion about sort of the uh, fairness of the schedule. I would be really concerned if for some reason we didn't have some of the marquee players from some of these rosters playing. So let's hope that that doesn't turn out to be a factor here as well. My my greatest fear with everything, and I touched on this yesterday, aside from health, that's obviously the, the primary concern, and it's so far above everything else on the list. But next, wherever that is for me, is that we we look at something that isn't quite right. And and look, 82 games, okay, fine, it is what it is. But you start getting into the the scary, for me, like it could be a little farcical. You know, like you said, if if Mike Trout is like, no thanks. If Clayton Kershaw is like, no thanks. Because you got to figure other guys would probably follow that lead. And I'm certainly not criticizing those guys if they felt that was the decision that was right for their family. But then it's all of a sudden like, all right, you're not really seeing big league baseball. And, and some of the optics of it, I think, are something we should definitely be very concerned about. Um, which maybe sounds silly because, again, the health, safety, well-being of everybody is so primary, but um, it still needs to look like Major League Baseball. And already without people in the stands, it's going to look different. Okay, we understand that. We accept that. We know why that's the case. Um, But I I think there's like a, a needle to be threaded here in terms of making sure it still comes across as major league baseball. Um, and, and look, I understand there's economics at play and a million other things and billions of reasons, literally, uh, to try and get everything in. But for me, that that's one of the many, I guess, needles that needs to be threaded and something I'm kind of keeping my eye on is, is to make sure this, this does come off as major league baseball when all is said and done. So we'll see, as, as we've all said, there's so many things to figure out and it's a, it's a very, very complicated situation. Scans on, on a call like that. My, my only other, I guess, follow up on that topic is, you know, Tony Clark is the head of the Players Association, so I assume he's leading the way. How many other voices, aside from the player reps, or, or could be involved in something like that, you think? Well, that's the beautiful thing about these types of meetings. It's an opportunity for everybody to share what they're feeling. And I think we broke it down a little bit last week when I was explaining. At first, you do have the player reps. I mean, at first, it's your executive board. Then you have all the player reps that are kept up to speed on things because you've got to have a little bit of logistically be able to share the information and not have it turn into a, a a game of telephone where the final information being sent down the line is so far from what's really happening. And that can happen. So at this point though, you want input from everybody and young players are encouraged. Now I'm not going to say that it's not intimidating. Look, if you're a first year player and you're on that conference call and you're listening to Mike Trout and Clayton Kershaw and, and Max Scherzer and some of those guys say what, what they have to say, it, it takes a little bit of guts to, to step up and say something differently, but you know what? Those are the leaders of the future. The young guys who do have the courage to stand up and say something, those are the guys that are going to be the leaders of, of the union going down the road. So the older guys are, are always trying to encourage the young guys because the old guys know, look, our time is coming. Eventually, we're going to be leaving this game and we're going to be handing it off to you to make sure that what we have established here and what the union has fought for for all these years is continued to, to be protected. So um, hopefully those young guys are, are stepping up and, and having a say because they're certainly uh, encouraged to in those types of situations. Really interesting stuff. It is. Uh, Padres, by the way, represented uh, at least by Austin Hedges. Uh, we know that because Kevin Acey of the Union Tribune spoke to Austin and, and Hedges was kind of referencing the call. Uh, what I got out of that was that Hedges was very, very optimistic that they'd be able to work things out. And uh, certainly that's that's music to a, a lot of our ears. So that's sort of the latest on baseball 2020. Wait and see, as it has been, unfortunately, for so many weeks. But things definitely are moving in a good direction. Of course, as we have learned, uh, things can change in a heartbeat for both the positive and the negative right now. All right, I put the the, the ask out for questions. This is, this is the first one that came in after that. Um, I don't know who the manager is in terms of setting up the lineup cards for the Orsillo Grant virtual games on Fridays. Maybe it's Don. I don't know. 
we can we can ask those guys on Thursday when they're on the show. But Scott wants to know when we'll see Franchi Cordero uh, in the starting lineup for that. Maybe they've been facing a bunch of lefties. I don't know. I have not been keeping super close track of those games. I'll admit that right now. Uh, but uh, yeah, great I mean, roster piece. You got to find yeah, a spot he, for him somewhere. Yeah, he's got to get in there. He's 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 the real deal, Franchi. We're excited to see. I, him. I'm missing Franchi. I mean, that was the one guy coming into spring training. In the last two years, I've been like, when are we going to see more Franchi Cordero? Because the upside. I mean, how tantalizing was it when he would show us the power that he has, and the ability to run down the ball in the outfield, his, his athleticism. That that's one of the guys that I've missed the most due to injury over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, and I just I, I love kind of what he brings uh, as as a roster piece. He's not like like. The way baseball teams win is not with one or two stars. It's with guys like Franchi Cordero who can rake against right-handers, who can fill in defensively in right or left field if you need him. And he serves kind of that purpose but isn't that isn't necessarily an everyday guy. That's a winning piece. And so, yeah, like you said, he showed up at spring training this season, had bulked up. I think he had struggled a little bit. Spring training seems like nine years ago. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him. And, and who knows if the season ends up being shortened and maybe that that's a – positive for him injury wise and get a few at bats at DH against right-handed pitching. Let me ask both of you, AJ first, have you put any thought into potential DHs if indeed that is coming in this weird 2020 season? Yeah, I guess we still got to preface that with if, because there's still, there's still a lot that has to get ironed out there. Uh, but I, I think you can kind of look at every single team and say, well, here's how they would benefit from it because a lot of teams have those, the DH, I think it used to be like each team in the AL had a DH and that was your guy. And it's just not really that anymore. Now it's kind of used as a way to get a guy off his feet and give him some more time and, and give him some rest. And and I think that's probably the best way to use it because baseball season is a grind. And so I would say guys like Franchi and Josh Naylor and Francisco Mejia, guys who can, who can hit, who, I mean, Franchi Cordero is a solid defender in the corners. So maybe you play him in the outfield, but there's, I, I have put some thought into it. And I think the Padres, would probably benefit from it given some of their options. Then again, I think there's probably 10 or 11 teams in the national league who think, Hey, we can use this to get this guy in the lineup. AJ, I agree with you hundred percent. And the two names that I would immediately go to, which you already mentioned would be Mejia and Naylor. Uh, And I really like what Josh Naylor can do at the plate. And I have such great conversations with this young man during the season about hitting and what he's learning And I just feel like this is a kid that's going to continue to get better and better. We know that he's still working on the defensive side, but his ability to put the bat to the ball, he's he's going to have some power. I think he's going to be one of those guys that's going to be a big RBI guy as he gets more comfortable at the plate as well. And I know it's one of those things that it's sort of a double-edged sword, but his ability to hit anything, even pitches that are up around his chin – we're going to see him lock that strike zone down. But at the same time, I just love his ability to get to the ball when he needs to. And Mejia, same thing. Um, we're just starting to see the, what he's capable of. He struggled offensively the first couple of times that we saw him, but we were starting to see him pick it up. And I think those are two guys that could actually be forces off the, uh, in the DH spot, especially getting more consistent ABs. Yeah, and I'll Amazing, add to that. Can, can, can I just add to that that I think it could be perfect for Naylor's development in the sense that Maybe you don't want him in the outfield every single day. You want him developing out there. You want him getting better. But you want his bat in the lineup maybe every single day because, I mean, he never seemed to kind of get that regular repetitions in the big leagues that that I think a lot of people wanted to see from him. And so maybe this is an ideal scenario for Josh Naylor in the sense that if there is a designated hitter in the National League this season, he gets regular at-bats. You get to see what he does at the plate. And he plays outfield every couple days, every three days, two or three times a week, and he can develop there as well. And so all of a sudden you've kind of got an ideal scenario if that's, if that's what happened. There's still a long way to go before we get there. 
Yeah, the possibility also of expanded rosters seems uh, very realistic for 2020 at least. And so that expands the possibilities. And you start, you know, knocking in somebody like Ty France, who was sort of on the roster bubble. You like the bat a lot. There's a lot of upside. He's an interesting guy. And now all of a sudden he fits uh, a lot more uh, nicely into the the whole puzzle. Anyway, it's it's interesting stuff. And again, you know, it's, it's a lot of what ifs and everything, but that's sort of what we got right now. So we're dealing with it best we can. And uh, the reason, of course, we have all these what ifs is that we are in the middle of of something that is far larger than any of us, far larger than the Padres, uh, far larger than baseball. And I thought this was really nice today. Uh, Padres put out a video kind of thanking uh, all the frontline workers uh, along with Petco uh, today. And this was uh, just as, as good as it gets. Enjoy. San Diego and all Friar faithful. First and foremost, to all the healthcare professionals, first responders, and others in the front lines keeping us safe. Thank you. Gracias. Thank you. Your selfless dedication to our health and safety is truly heroic. We're all going through some challenging times right now that we've never experienced before. And now more than ever, we need to support each other and stay safe. We're all on the same team, San Diego's team. And we will get through this together. Great stuff from the Padres and Petco. Kirby, of course, closes it out. Nicely done. Uh, And uh, so thank you to everybody involved in making that video, the players who appeared, and of course, all of our uh, frontline medical workers here in this community as uh, we continue to try and uh, get things going. Very nice. Golf clap. Very nice. Uh, This was cool. This one caught my eye, guys. You know, I I love stuff like this, and thankfully you both do as well. Uh, Nobody here to make fun of me today. Uh, But this was going around, I think it was a sporting news article, and maybe it's an old story. Maybe it's something that's been told before, but i never seen it before this morning. And and I'll give you the quick uh, synopsis of the story. It was 1980, 81, something like that. And there were these two kids who lived in Montreal. They were huge Expo fans, huge baseball fans. And of course, because they're 18-year-old kids, they think they know everything. So they wrote to the Montreal Expos uh, and they said, hey, uh, one of us can be the GM. One of us can be the manager. Maybe you have an apprentice type program if you're not ready to give us the job fully. But they basically offered their services and they got a letter back from the Montreal Expos here. Uh, I won't read the whole thing, but it's very funny. Uh, The owner of the team, I guess, sent it along uh, to the, the guy who ends up writing the letter. Thank you for your interest in the Expos. We wish you uh, the best of success in your studies. So it was very cool, right? You get a letter back. Well, this encouraged them to write to other teams, uh, and they had a bunch of the letters that they got back from 1980 and 81 from the different teams. Here's the Padres one that came from uh, Ballard Smith. Uh, thank you for your interest in the Padres, although your credentials in quotes, which is hilarious, uh, speak for themselves. We unfortunately have no opening in our organization for a general manager or a field manager. I will retain your letter, however, in case something appropriate, in quotes, should turn up in the near future, requiring the talents of two young enterprising men such as yourself and Mr. Chotos. Again, thank you for your interest in the Padres. Yours very truly, Ballard Smith. I love this on so many levels. Just A, the guys writing it. Uh, B, the letterhead is cool to look at. C, Ballard Smith recognizing the tone of their uh, letter and giving it right back to them. Bob, this is the stuff the dreams are made of. <laughs> this was so funny. I, I'd never seen this 
article about this before, but it was just, it was so fun to read it and see these letters. And the ones that they got back are classic. I mean, there's one that says, considering that you guys did not address the envelope to the correct person and considering that you didn't even sign your own letter, I didn't know how serious I was supposed to take this proposal. But that being said, we're going to hang on to your letter. And, and if we need you, we'll let you know. I, I, to your point, Jesse, I think all these GMs, they, they, they took it in, in the right spirit and had some fun with it. And what's, what's really funny also is there's one from Bud Selig that says, you know, we just signed Peter Ubro out there as our commissioner of baseball right now. Uh, you know, sign Bud Selig, who would eventually become the commissioner as well. I, I love also the fact these kids are 18 years old. You know, that's not so far-fetched from Theo Epstein actually being the general manager at age 28, only 10 years down the road from where those kids were. So, And how funny is it that they come from Montreal? I mean, a place where they say baseball wasn't really going to be that popular. You'd think they'd be reaching out to the NHL GMs, but I love I loved the whole thing, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Great to see that. I love the idea of getting a letter back from uh... – from an application with your credentials in air quotes. That's just, that's just <laughs> hilarious. And it's, I mean, it's all part of the shtick. It's all part of the, the kind of gag. I mean, they knew what they were getting into, but it's just, it's just a funny concept. I think. Yeah. You get one back from an O'Malley, which is obviously a big deal with the Dodgers, a very, you know, to the point business like uh, from Peter O'Malley. And then uh, here's the Bud Selig one that you talked about, which is great. The fact that they held on to all this stuff. I mean, this is priceless, right? You got this Bud Selig letter. That's what Scans was referring to. My favorite one, aside from the Ballard Smith one for the Padres, though, might have been the Blue Jays one because obviously they were Expo fans. So he says, uh, thank you for your recent letter and interest. This is Peter Pavese, of course. Uh, he says, we echo the sentiments of Mr. Landry, the Expos, and wishing you the very best for much success with your studies. So apparently he had called the Expos and said, hey, did you get a letter from these knuckleheads also? And he said, yeah, you know, I wish them luck. And he said, all right, I'll wish them luck also, the other Canadian team. Uh, just great stuff. And, and I love that. You know, when you're a kid, every dream feels like it's realistic. And uh, these kids sending letters to their favorite baseball teams. AJ, did you ever send fan mail off when you were a kid? No, that wasn't that wasn't a thing that I did. I uh yeah, that 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 wasn't what I did. I I just kind of made up games and played them by myself. I played status pro baseball or whatever, Bach baseball, but didn't didn't get too involved in sending letters to people. Social media scans has completely changed this kind yeah. of thing. You wouldn't no one would think to do this today. No question about it. It's funny. Uh, my high school girlfriend, her dad actually wrote a letter to every single professional team, sort of with the same genre of, hey, I'm looking for a job. I'd love to work for you guys. And he heard back from some of them. And it was such a big deal. Back then, you, you didn't have the internet to find out who was in charge of these teams. You know, you had to do some research. You had to do some digging. Um, nowadays, it's all much more available. But I think, if anything, it's much even more reachable and attainable for people. Look, I have high school and college kids come up to me during games sometimes, and they've got their notebook, sort of like A.J. Preller's notebook, and they've got all their notes of, here's, here's the guys I would keep. Here's the trades that I would make. Here's my plan for the future of the organization. And I think the fact that we've seen younger GMs now and, and people who have not necessarily played at the professional level more so than ever have the door open for them to be a part of baseball at the highest levels, I think is inspiring more people to have that dream. And I think it's great. I mean, it brings more creativity to the game and, and fresh ideas and a chance for people to connect no matter what their physical skill level may have been playing. They have a chance to be a part of this game more than ever. I'd add that. I, I think the, uh, I, I just think it's, the world's changed and it's, it's cool how much we can interact with. I mean, fans can interact with their favorite players, with their people they watch on TV, just like that. 
You see the nice tone of all those letters? That's that's not social media in 2020. <laughs> if you're asking for something, is, though, if you want something, you, you, people can be nice on social media when they, when they want a job, I'm sure. But anyway, I thought that was just delightful. And uh, good stuff there from uh, well, almost 40 years ago at this point. Uh, good stuff, good yeah. stuff. All right. It is time. Uh, Bob's got the whiz hat on for our KBO sadness report. Uh, I, I should mention, you know, we named it this after the whiz had lost four straight games all by one run, uh, three of which were extra inning losses. The bullpen was blowing it every single night. But since we introduced the KBO sadness report, our whiz are red hot. That would include a 13 to 11 win over the Hanwha Eagles last night, a fourth consecutive victory for the Wiz. Now, the caveat of celebrating this one is that uh, the Wiz had a 13-1 to lead going to the seventh inning. I'll repeat the final score. It was 13-11. to um, Bob, <laughs> like you said, fit right in, give up a couple of home runs and hit a guy. Well, I don't want to take credit, but I will say since my, my visit down there, and I obviously scared the bullpen because since I went down there, they've won their last three games and they're hanging on for dear life, right? So something's going right for these guys. And they're moving up in the power rankings. They're up to number six, guys. So, hey, maybe things are finally turning around for the Wiz. It, it's good to see. And uh, it's nice to have some positive things to talk about for the first time in a while, right? It makes it uh, it makes it different to talk about, honestly. Like, I mean, not to take too to, to people too far behind the curtain here, but like, there was a sick part of me that was enjoying them blowing all these games. <laughs> it's funny to talk about, and I'm not really that emotionally invested in it. But but winning is better, and uh, and we got winning right now. You'll notice too, by the way, here that's right-handed Korean Matt Strom. He's now got a ponytail, so he doesn't look as much like Matt Strom, which is very disappointing uh, because that was like my favorite thing from last week. Uh, <laughs> He still has a similar sort of presence on the mound and body and everything like that. But the, maybe we can get Strom to wear a ponytail. Maybe that's the answer to all of this. Uh, Hanwha, by the way, there's the line score. I had a nine-run seventh inning. Uh, the Wiz were on a roll. You're going 13-1 to one into the final three innings. You need nine outs to get out of there. And they, they nearly gave it away. Uh, but uh, more big-time offense from the Wiz, who have been scoring early and often in, in all of these games. Hanwha, coming into this game, had hit four home runs on the entire season. The fewest home runs of any team in the KBO. They hit two in last night's game. But uh, the Wiz got another home run from our guy, the Josh Naylor lookalike. The first baseman, uh, Kung Bak Ho, in his third professional season. He is now homered in two straight, and he is tied for the league lead with five home runs. This was the guy we heard about early on when we started investigating the Wiz that everybody said, hop aboard because of him. Uh, He was the rookie of the year two years ago. He hit a bunch of homers. Power was down last year, uh, but now it has returned. And uh, this guy has uh, been something fierce. Yeah, he really has. Go ahead, AJ. I I was just going to say how much I love that leg kick and how I think we need to focus on the positives here. Win's a win. So what if they gave up 10 runs in the last couple innings? The KT Wizard are back. And you know what? Given the way they lost all those games early, Maybe they're really good. Maybe they lost a couple fluky games and they took took them some time to figure it out. And here they are and they're actually good. I had a kind of a cool moment with this game in in the sense that it was one of those, I think we're all looking for normalcy right now. And then these certain things that you don't have in your life that you did on a pretty regular basis before. If it were if it were a normal year, if 2020 had happened normally, we'd probably be covering Padre games at night and I'd be getting home and I'd be watching whatever on DVR, the NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs other learning about other baseball games well i've been watching some of these games just had them on through 
through some Twitch streams. I've been watching them the next day because no one's going to spoil the score for me. And I got an email with our show rundown today that had the, the score spoiled for me. And so it was 13 to 1. Uh, I saw 13 to 11, thought it was a little bit of a typo. But uh, it's, it was nice to have a result spoiled for me because it happens to be so frequently on Twitter in my daily day-to-day routine during April and May and June when I come home and watch the NBA playoffs or the NHL playoffs after Padres games. Uh, hey, so Jake, question for you. Next, You've seen but... this team play a little bit now. And... Go ahead, Skins. Go ahead, Jess. No, 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 it's fine. Go no, I was just curious because we were talking about the po- the positives of, of this team, and when you look at the over-unders for this ball club, they're going to score a ton of runs. It kind of reminds me of the Detroit Tigers of the early 90s where they were going to win games 13-12, to 12, and they knew that. And the closer last year, the right-handed Matt Strom that's got ponytail now, he was solid last year as the closer. He's had a couple glitches this year. And I'm wondering, you know, as you guys were saying, maybe as many runs as this team scores, they can take some of the pressure off that pen as long as they can get it to that closer and maybe turn things around, huh? Here was the side-by-side we did last week. Oh, I love it. I love that. (laughs) I should have the caveat that I'm not really watching these games. I'm just – they're just on in the background. But, I mean, it it seems to follow a recurring script that – if the Wiz have the lead, they're just begging the bullpen to hold on. And maybe right-handed Matt Strom does. Maybe right-handed Matt Strom doesn't. Uh, it, I wonder if – I don't know. I, this is a thing I have to research. Like if there is a trade deadline, you know, I mean, are, are there guys that could be acquired maybe uh, to try and shore up the bullpen a little bit? Because you, like you guys both said, they're going to score their runs. And uh, that big first baseman, Kong Bako, is a, a big part of that. Uh, he got the uh, the pitching ninja feature, though, coming out of that game last night. Um, uh, here you go. I think we have this video scans as, as a pitcher. What do you see when you see this uh, particular swing and follow through? <laughs> Whoa, <It's> like, <laughs> the old rusty gate swing. I, I'm thinking, okay, I know he's sitting dead red. If I can throw something off speed, I think I've got him out on his front foot just a little bit. You know what? I, I love the fact that these guys aren't afraid to spin around in the box, throw, show some theatrics and a bat flip once in a while as well. It's fun. They're having a good time out there. It's a fun brand I, of baseball. It is. I, I particularly like certain guys like that. And I think the Padres have one in Francisco Mejia who kind of swing really violently and their swings are so compact that when they get a hold of it, it goes a long way and it does what it does, but they can be prone to some pitching ninja highlight reels just because of the way they swing and the force, the force with, with which they swing. And you know what? That's what works for them. That's what, I mean, this leg kick I'm looking at it and I'm understanding and I'm trying to understand how he gets those mechanics in sync and yet he's one of the best players in the KBO tied for the league lead with five homers. That's, I think that's pretty cool. It's awesome. He's a lot of fun to watch. And uh, Wizard playing entertaining baseball. It's, it's edge of your seat stuff. You can't turn it off early or anything like that. But uh, it's been fun. That is our uh, KBO sadness report. Poorly named these days, but that's all good. Uh, four straight wins. A sweep of the Samsung Lions. Uh, and then a victory over the Hanwha Eagles last night. Back in action tonight if you want to find a stream at 2.30 a.m. Pacific. Speaking of guys, fun to watch, by the way. I'm sure you've seen this in the news the last couple of days. Uh, both Bartolo Colon, who I believe turns 47 next week, and K-Rod, Francisco Rodriguez, who is 38 years old, are discussing their interest in having a comeback. Here's Bartolo through the years. Uh, and uh, they, they want to be back in baseball. Bartolo last pitched in the big leagues. Two years ago for the Rangers, K-Rod three years ago for the Tigers. Um, tremendous careers, both of them, for different, <laughs> <laughs> for different reasons. Um, but, like, I mean, scans 47 is, is – uh, 38 is one thing for K-Rod. 47 years old is a, is a rather remarkable goal. 
No, this is this is incredible. And I, I understand guys want to continue to play. And both of these guys have long careers. I'm wondering how much this new roster construction is factoring into their thoughts of, hey, maybe I really do have a chance since they know everybody's going to be needing more pitching. The starters are going to be short on their innings. The rosters are going to be larger. Maybe this is their chance to get back in there. Look, if I had to pick one of these two guys to be able to make the comeback, I'm going to go with Bartolo Colon. First of all, I just love watching him on the baseball field. So I'm a little partial in that respect, but I've always admired him. He went from a guy that threw 97 down to 87 and he didn't really change his style all that much. Even towards his last couple of years, when you went out to watch Bartolo Colon pitch, you knew what you were going to see a steady diet of fastballs and a big gut right there. And he would just come at guys. And I love the way that he competes. I think he's fun out there. He doesn't take himself too seriously as he's showing off right there. And, uh, you know, if he can make it make it back and, and give somebody an inning, I'm all for it. AJ, would it bother you to see the, the uh, big sexy back out there? Not at all. I can't believe K-Rod's only 38. He was such an integral part of that 2001 Angels team that it just blows my mind that he's that young. But I guess that was the season he broke through. Uh, I would I would love to see Bart- Bartolo Colon out there. I think baseball would. I think it would be... He's he's a guy who's so well known and so, such kind of a, a presence nationally, probably beyond just fans of the sport. Fans of all sports know who Bartolo Colon is and they enjoy watching a pitch. And that's a chance for I mean, if if he were to come back this season and play in Major League Baseball, people would tune in to watch Bartolo Colon. So I am strongly in favor. It would be great. I'm with you guys, uh, certainly, on that one. On the other end of the age spectrum is Hunter Green. He was the number two overall pick in 2017. Uh, The Reds took him out of high school here in Southern California. Uh, Padres, of course, would select Mackenzie Gord, the next pick, uh, number three overall. Hunter Green was like a big time. uh, He's on the cover of Sports Illustrated, I think, a two-way player. Is he the next this? Is he the next that? Obviously, we wait and see like we do with all of these young studs. Uh, But he put a video out over the weekend on social media. Obviously, we've seen all the trick shot stuff, basketball, baseball, football, all of it. This one is very impressive and takes a lot of guts. This is going to be through the window of the moving car. Yeah! (laughs) Bob, as a pitcher, how difficult is this? I'm still not believing it's real. I mean, everybody says that it is. But I'm wondering how many takes it must have taken to get that through there. How many dents are in the side of that Tesla? And I also want to know who's driving this car. There's no driver in the in the in the driver's seat. So there's a lot of questions I have about this. But hey, you can't take anything away if it's legit. He threaded the needle right there. More power to him. Pretty impressive. I think his head's down. I think the driver's head is down, as as mine <laughs> would be if I were if a baseball were being thrown at me. I want to see the other takes. This can't have been the first take. I mean, that's just too difficult to think. But, hey, maybe it is. Maybe it was. And, I mean, these guys are really, really, really skilled. But that just seems like a different level. Uh, I think the Tesla people would tell you, and, and I'm not one, but I think there's the little remote you can drive it with around the parking lot as part of the key. So uh-huh. uh, it, it could have been that situation, which is good for safety. Uh, but, yeah, like you said, I, I want all the details, all the information from somebody who covers the Reds uh, in terms of how many takes uh, this was, where are the outtakes <laughs> probably even more entertaining nonetheless that's a heck of a an accomplishment right there um it's not necessarily like the little kids who are blindfold knocking cones off their dad's heads or anything like that uh because the the little kid thing is unbelievable but this is it looks real it looks real that's no it looks legit and you know what else guys he's got a little bit of a reputation for doing these types of stunts there's other videos out him out there of him throwing footballs off of rooftops hitting that same buddy on the roof of the car so uh, he has he has a flair for uh, for the trickery, and uh, he certainly pulled it off right there. Pretty impressive. 
Love it. Love it. All right. It's Tuesday. That means we have an AJ Casavell list to argue about. Um, and today on Padres.com, you can read about AJ's top five bench players in Padre history. He's gone all along the dime, all around the diamond. AJ, real talk. To me, this was like the most fun one, um, which I don't know is necessarily what you would expect from bench players. But there's something about like those role guys, those reserve guys, I think that most fans like really gravitate towards. And for me, that was the case. I really enjoyed this one as much as any of the others. I had a lot I had a lot of fun like remembering some guys because there's just so many guys that you kind of forget were around or forget maybe played a a few different positions. I set the parameters at. 33% 33% of their games were coming off the bench as a substitute. That could be a defensive replacement, pinch hitter, whatever it was. And so you kind of got two categories. You got these like utility pieces on one side and then the pinch hit guys on the other. And uh, I had Jerry Turner as number one. His his splits were incredible. He's the all-time leader in, in a, f- a few different counting stats. But also I think it was his 1978 season as a pinch hitter where he hit something like 400 with like a what, 1,100 OPS off the bench, which is, I mean, he... he was from what I from what I understand was not the greatest defender, but when your role is just to serve as that pinch hit presence, he did it and did it really well. And then he kind of got the the other hand where I had Kurt Bavakwa and uh, and Tim Flannery as the next two, a couple kind of more utility infield pieces, guys that are just like so important on a National League roster without that DH because they they can do so many different things and you can move other guys around. Obviously, Bavacqua with what he did in 84. Flannery did it for such a long time. I had I had Bavacqua 2, Flannery 3. And then uh, Mark Sweeney going back to that kind of pinch hit type. And it's just, to me, it's, it's one of the great things about National League baseball is these kind of players who can carve out their niches and still be extremely important even if they aren't the guys in the lineup every single day. AJ, I got to say thank you. I've had so much fun with these lists that you've put together for two reasons. First of all, it's given me a chance to learn about players that I really didn't know very much about. Jerry Turner, I didn't know much about him prior to your article, and it gives me reason to research their careers and learn more about them. So I appreciate that part. And the other part is it brings back such fun memories of some of these other guys, like Kurt Vavacqua, who <laughs> As a kid growing up, I remember him calling Tommy Lasorda the fat little Italian, and then Tommy coming back over saying, yeah, Vavacqua, he couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat, and he's the guy that I send the limousine to make sure he gets to the ballpark because I'm going to get him out when I pitch against him. I mean, these back-and-forth moments, uh, it was great to revisit all that and, of course, to remember – Tim Flannery and just how he played the game and just that that dirtbag attitude that he had coming out every day. Sweeney and uh, show me the payload and some of the fun that he had hitting from the left side. So a lot of good memories here. And I do like your other two guys also, Luis Salazar and Kristen Norfia as honorable mentions. Luis Salazar was my third baseman in my major league debut. Great memories of Louis. Um, I know he spent a lot of good times with the Padres as well. And also Kristen Norfia. I always had a ton of respect for what Dino did on the field and got the most out of his body and sacrificed it all the time. So it, it's just a fun topic and a great chance to reflect on some of the fun players uh, that, have, that have worn Padre uniforms. It maybe weren't superstars, but certainly important guys on their, on their team. I like the way you describe Bavaco and your story too, AJ. One of the feistiest characters in franchise history. That's, that's a good way to put it. KB, one of the great characters, certainly, uh, in Padre I history. spent some time looking for that adjective. I spent yeah. some time trying to figure out what was the one I had to put there, and feistiest was the one that, was the one that I said. A lot of ways you can yeah. go. There's a lot of ways you can go. KB is uh, one of my favorites. He's a, he's a great character, certainly, in the history of this franchise. Well, uh, earlier this afternoon, I had the chance to catch up with number four on AJ's list, Mark Sweeney, of course, now part of the broadcast team on Fox Sports San Diego. We discussed the art of coming off the bench, of being a DH, and, of course, what's going on in the world today and what baseball might look like here in 2020. <laughs> So 
Sweeney's, really appreciate you taking some time for us. Great to see you. Great to chat. It's uh, it's odd because you're one of those people I talk to on basically a daily <laughs> basis for six or seven months a year. And yeah. now it's the first time in a while. Glad uh, everybody in your household is doing well. That's obviously the most important thing. How have you been uh, filling time at home? Uh, wiffle ball games, Jesse. Uh, we have around the world basketball for my eight-year-old um, competition between our family. It's we, we just trying to be creative, uh, board games, uh, playing cards, you know, trying to be at home. I tell you what, though, the best thing that's happened in this this weird state that we're in is at the family dinners. I mean, it, it's it's been really uh, great to connect because um, I have a 20-year-old stepdaughter, 16-year-old stepdaughter, and then an eight-year-old son together uh, with my wife, Cindy. So um, those are the challenges, but man, I, we've connected during dinners for sure. That's uh, that's cool. It's anything anything different. You can find a positive, and certainly that that's one of them. Uh, one way I know a lot of us have been filling time is watching old games. Uh, Fox Sports San Diego has done a really great job, I think, of uh, giving us some some fun stuff to take a gander at most every night. Uh, when those ninety eight games were airing, I, I think it was a couple of weeks ago at this point. Yeah. How much did you watch that, and and what do you remember when you go back and rewatch some of those games? It was really cool that they did that. And I think it was a connection um, to a lot of the fans that we had. Uh, everything really is fresh in my mind because it's not something that's expected, especially when you're a bench player and you're an added guy. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was a magic carpet ride while I was in it. But then starting to relive it when it's on on uh, on TV, it was great. I, the one thing that resonates to me, actually, there's two things. One thing that resonates me uh, first and foremost was that game against Houston Astros where Randy Johnson locked horns against Kevin Brown. Uh, I've said it on our broadcast before. It's the best pitched game both sides that I've ever seen. And the other thing that really resonates with me is when we went to New York and we get past the Atlanta Braves after Houston Astros, there's Tony Gwynn on the main stage in at uh, Yankee Stadium, I thought that was a thrill for all of us. Even though it was a it was a team thing, um, it was getting Mr. Padre and Tony Gwynn on that main stage main stage since eight, 1984. And that was a long time frame, but uh, very special to watch those games. Really cool. Glad to hear you've been enjoying them uh, the way we have. If you were still playing, what would you be doing right now to keep yourself as ready as possible? Truly not having any idea for many of the last however many days when the season would begin, if the season would begin. Yeah, pretty strange. Uh, I'm sure the players probably kick into being creative like we all have tried to do. Um, but I would have, if I'm still playing, I would have kicked into my winter workouts again. Just trying to get into that swing of things where you feel like you're taking enough swings if you're a position player, um, getting enough running in, being able to maintain that strength. But you're doing it in different ways. You're probably accelerating a little bit to try to make sure that you're getting that grind. The hardest thing, Jesse, I've always said is that if you can't do things in cleats, um, it's really different. When you put cleats on after winter workouts, your body is just crushed for a few days and it, it takes a long time to get used to it so it, it'll be interesting the pitcher standpoint if they're pitching off a mound that's probably something that they definitely do anyway but position players you're working out you're running you're not doing a lot of stuff in cleats so i'm sure they're probably maintaining that just a little bit more just to make sure when they when they do get that word that they are going to try it they're going to go out there and, and probably be a little more ready 
Yeah, that's a great point. Not one I'd really heard be brought up before, but you're exactly right because you always hear about that around spring training, uh, that kind of thing. Um, it sounds like the highest number of regular season games, best case scenario we'll get this year is probably 80, 81, 82, something in that range. Quite clearly, that means the volatility factor will go way up. A lot of articles written about that recently, including Kevin Acey in the Union Tribune. We always say baseball is a marathon, not a sprint. It could very well be a sprint <laughs> this year, and, and that could really change a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's a sprint. It sounds like extended rosters, which would probably be uh, one of those things that's very creative for a manager or, or an organization. But yeah, the need for that win that particular day, um, a mentality for for a player sometimes in the month of April is, hey, I got to get off to my a good start individually and then settle in. Um, it's going to be collectively immediately, and you're going to have to try to have those hot hands. But it's going to be interesting to see how they handle the pitching aspect of it. Um, that's going to be the challenging thing. But listen, if it's 81 games or any amount of games, I think it's very exciting to know that it's going to be a diversion. It's going to be one of those things that I think everyone's dying for that live uh, action with sports. Yeah, oh, there's no doubt about that. And that's a big part of the motivation, certainly, aside from all the obvious stuff uh, that we talk about almost every single day. You bring up the pitching, and I agree with you. I think by far that's the most interesting aspect of how this will play out, how different teams handle it, uh, because obviously there's no playbook on this. I mean, you know, we, we sort of joke all the time now about how starters aren't asked to go beyond six or seven innings uh, yeah. with any kind of regularity in today's game. In the 2020 game, you might say, hey, I'm great getting four or five uh, out of my starter, at least at the beginning, because these guys won't necessarily have been worked up. You start thinking about who's got good bullpens, and obviously th there could be an advantage for the Padres in there with the arms they have in the pen. Great point, uh, because we've all talked about this the last few years of how important the bullpen is. I think it's going to be a continued bullpen game. Yes, there's going to be starters, there's going to be designated guys, but really it has a lot to do with I got to get in there, I got to have a guy throw me a solid inning, and let's make some adjustments. Let's see how the everything plays out. But um, there's going to be a lot more strategy, and there's going to be a lot more options, in my, my opinion, which I think is going to be appealing. There's going to be differences. Uh, we've already talked about uh, the DH possibility. It sounds like that's going to be a thing. Um, there's a lot of open possibilities, but the need to win, the need to be able to throw your pitchers and keep them uh, out of harm's way is going to be a priority. Yeah. And with bigger rosters, obviously, the creativity can go up and up. Uh, if you start bringing up some young arms, maybe you can piggyback guys like they do sometimes in the minors. Again, it seems like uh, the options are endless. You mentioned the DH. Um, I, I want to get to that in a minute, kind of through a different conversation. AJ Caswell uh, continuing his top five lists on Padres.com. He did bench players today, who, of course, are on that list as a top five uh, reservist in Padre history. Um, the art of pinch hitting is something you and I have talked about a lot of times. It fascinates me. Um, it's, it's such a more complex thing than probably the average fan realizes. I want to tie that into the DH thing. Are there similarities there? Am I overstating the similarities? Um, because you got to figure guys are going to be asked to DH this year, some of whom have never done it in their careers outside of a, a random interleague game or something like that. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up. It's hard for me to do similarities because I really didn't DH much. I wasn't a DH type. Um, I do have to preface this uh, tip of the cap at AJ Casvel, even putting my name in there because, listen, there's a lot of people – Jesse, that you could put in there in, in his list. I even throw in Arky C and Franco, for example, because I absolutely loved him because he had the ability to be so versatile. Um, there's a there's a different mindset, in my opinion, 
with a DH versus a pinch hitter. And why I say that is that um, a DH, you can still set up pitchers. You can still have the ability um, to throw away in a bat at times, but also gain some knowledge, maybe for your second at bat, maybe your third, um, when there's people on base. The reason why I say that is pinch hitting, it's, it's a mentality of, I got to attack this pitch that's on the plate. Um, it's going to have uh, that more aggressiveness is where I can't throttle back. I can't take a pitch. Whereas a DH, I think you can do that. Plus, as a DH, you want to make an impact. And typically, if you're DHing, you're in the middle of the order um, in, in a big situation. It might uh, tend to be a different scenario if you have some protection behind you. So I think there's subtle differences. The mentality really comes to how you separate every at-bat if you're a DH. If you have that ability to go in there and you have a bad at-bat, your first at-bat, throw it away, have that uh, knowledge, and, and I can kind of transform that into my second at-bat. Yeah, the, the staying sharp between at-bats perhaps the biggest challenge for a DH, and obviously that's not something a pinch hitter ever has to worry about unless he stays in the game defensively, and then it's kind of a different conversation altogether. I didn't um, tend to do that. Yeah. <laughs> what a dud. Oh, uh, you did it really, really well, man. The numbers in AJ's story, I, I don't, it's one of those things like I knew the numbers, but then you read them again and you see them in print. You go, man, that's that's impressive stuff. It's it's not something a lot of guys have been able to do with that sort of success in uh, baseball history, and, and you're on the list, man. You definitely are. So. Uh, great to see you, and uh, thanks great for the time. Glad uh, the house isn't too crazy, and and hang in there. Hope to see you at the ballpark sooner rather than later. I'm going to go try to win this uh, uh, family wiffle ball game tonight, but I appreciate you having me. Thank you for everybody out there uh, that are helping uh, the the doctors and nurses, everybody around that's supporting this whole cause, which is really a tough time, but uh, I'm appreciative of, of everyone doing their part. So thank you. Great seeing you, Jessica. Can't wait to see you at the field. All right, Mark Sweeney of Fox Sports San Diego and the uh, former Padre himself, as mentioned, number four on A.J. Casavell's list. Thanks to Sweeney for joining us earlier this afternoon. Bring uh, A.J. and Bob Scanlon back in here, guys. Um, I, I could probably talk to the two of you for another couple of hours uh, about the differences on the field that we might get in 2020 because of these different rules. I won't keep either of you that long, of course. But um, I, I think the one that jumps most out to me in terms of having a big impact scans is like I would not underestimate what a 30-man roster might do to what a game looks like. We know what September baseball has looked like for the last however many years when some teams would have that. Uh, but the creativity, particularly when you consider pitchers' arms not necessarily being built all the way up at the beginning of this season, if it happens in early July as they're, as they're aiming for, we could see some weird stuff, I think. I think you're absolutely right, Jesse. And, it, and it's some of the stuff that I think some people have already been talking about maybe. And, and when are we ever going to see this? When are we going to see – a bullpen takeover whole game and really not use starters, just have a whole bunch of relievers pitch two innings or three innings at a time. I think now is the the venue is set for that. I mean, we, we might see some of that and it's more justified at this point. And so people can get a taste of it. And it might be one of those things that changes the game moving forward. We've talked about the presence of the designated hitter that may never leave. Um, and the other thing that might, we might see are, are guys that are brought in just to run the bases. You know, we talked about one of those players a couple of weeks ago, who knows, maybe the Padres and, and other teams will have somebody that they, because of the expanded roster, you're just in there to steal a base or you're just in there as a defensive replacement late in the game. So it's going to be interesting to see. The other interesting thing is, look, when the season was getting ready to start, we had players like Luis Salazar and, and, uh, and Mackenzie Gore, who we didn't know if they were going to be able to make the team or not. And there was always the concern of the innings and you want to start the time clock well now with the shortened season we may get a chance to see a lot of these young prospects that these organizations have 
And really, that may become the difference in which teams are going to succeed in this shortened season, which ones have the, the prospects that are ready to step right in and make a difference right away. So it, it could be interesting and it could be fun. We'll get a chance to see a lot of players we didn't expect and maybe get a chance for some guys to show a part of their game that they might not have got a chance to show off as, as one of 25 guys, but as one of 30 guys, hey, you know what? We've got a slot for you, and it might be fun to see it a different different style of game for the next 82 games. And I, I'd add that all this is kind of contingent upon what the roster size ends up being and kind of what the parameters are. But I would I also think that this being the year that you're going to institute a three batter minimum, it probably ends up working out pretty nicely if the rosters are going to be bigger because you don't want that September style baseball where Bruce Bochy's ambling out of the dugout and replacing a different pitcher every other batter. But you still can kind of understand the need to have expanded rosters and expanded pitching staff so that guys are being rested properly and aren't getting hurt while still being able to fulfill the needs of a, of a baseball season. And so at the three batter minimum, we can talk about what its merits are in a regular normal season. I think for if, if this ends up being the case and we end up playing a shortened season with 82 games or whatever it is uh, with expanded rosters, it might end up helping in a bigger way than it would have helped otherwise, I think. Yeah, now the best laid plans of Mice and Men. I mean, you never quite know, uh, I guess, what you're going to get, even though uh, you think you do at times. And baseball 2020 is going to be different in a lot of ways. Hopefully, we see baseball in 2020, and it's different in a lot of ways. All right, we're going to go, uh, before we get out of here tonight, back to the time machine, a couple of different stops here. First, I'm very excited about this one. On this date, uh, May 19th in 2001, Padres tied their franchise record by scoring 20 runs in a nine-inning game. They did so at uh, Le Stade Olympique in Montreal, Quebec. A 20-7 victory over the Expos. The Padres scored in every inning except the fourth inning, and uh, seven Expo pitchers appeared in that game, six of whom were charged with runs. There was one Expo pitcher that day in Montreal who was not charged with a run, and it's that guy, Bob Scanlon. <laughs> It's so funny. I saw that game come up on our, our list of things that we might talk about today. And I'm thinking, I know something about that. Why is that game so familiar? And then I remember, oh, yeah, I pitched in that thing. <laughs> and the good news was, look, everybody else was so exhausted from hitting prior to my getting into the game. I think they were just tired of scoring so many runs. I ended up, I think I had like a five pitch inning to get out of that. That I, I don't know how it happened guys, but I think that was the only scoreless inning I had that entire season. Cause if you look at my ERA at the end of it, it wasn't pretty. So, uh, you know, the, the, the blind mouse finds the cheese once in a while. That's great stuff. How many runs did the Padres score in Toronto this year? It's good. I was thinking about that, and I meant to go back and check. I think it was 19, I, think it was 19. I believe. Yeah, 19 with seven dingers. So. Yeah. Hey, this is the whole run the record, but not the run record. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what I remember. Uh, all right, so that was on this day in 2001. On this day four years earlier, in 1997, Steve Finley had a, a three-homer game, and that was the second most interesting thing to take place uh, at Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati uh, because the Padres pulled something they have only done a handful of times uh, in franchise history, and that is a triple play. This is a comebacker, and you need help sometimes. you got to get lucky. That's how this works. That's a comebacker. No problem for Ashby. Uh, with the runners going, everybody dead to rights, and a nice, easy triple play. The last Padre triple play uh, from now would come in 2010. So they had one in 97. They had another one in 2010. They have not had one since. You look at the complete list here of triple plays turned by the Padres. 
That is a very short list. Now, I, I did not research the other 29 teams to see how many triple plays they've each turned since 1969. But AJ, like just glancing at it, this feels like a very small list to me. But yeah, I mean, triple plays are are hard to pull off. I, I've always kind of been fascinated by the dynamics of the different kinds of triple plays. You've got that the line out with runners going. You've got the maybe the, the, the ground ball 5-4-3 is always exciting. And then the one that features a couple rundowns. Um, I'll add that when I was in high school, I bunted into a triple play once a, uh, a suicide <laughs> squeeze that I popped up. And I think that that's probably one of my least favorite memories of, of baseball, because <laughs> it, it is like that moment in the game. Like if you're hitting into a triple play, it means you've got guys on base and it means you're in a big spot in the game. And it's just really deflating for your team to see the other dugout doing what they're doing after you bunt into a triple play. So let that be a lesson. Don't bunt. Well, that's the other thing I wanted to find out right there, AJ. Like, you got men on base. Did your skipper ask you to bunt? Is that sort of a hint of what your suicide squeeze was like? Yes. Okay. I, I, had, <laughs> I, I had actually asked for the suicide squeeze, and then I popped it up into a into a triple play. So uh, that's I guess funny. I deserved that one. Uh, the unassisted triple play, of course, is the king of all triple plays. Um, Scans, were you ever the beneficiary of a triple? I mean, we call the double play a pitcher's best friend, so I don't know what that makes a triple play. Yeah, I don't know that I was, to be honest with you. Um, but I, I do love the five, four, three, you know, when they're turning it around the horn like that, those are the ones where you're on the edge of your seat. The, the line drive right back at the guy, you're, you're sort of more like, oh, you got lucky right there, dude. But when they actually turn it around the horn, I, I love that one. That's that's pretty cool to watch. And you're just like, is he going to get him? Is he going to get him? And it's, it's, it's awesome when they actually are able to turn it. You're right. Yeah, that last is- throw from the second baseman to the first baseman, it's that race. Yeah, You know, it's usually a slower yeah. guy, like a catcher, a pitcher, and he's trying to bust up the line and get there. And that's uh, that's a good moment of drama. All right, so that was this date in 1997, the next to last triple play that the Padres had turned. Maybe they'll turn a couple this year. Who knows? Uh, coming up tonight on Fox Sports San Diego, just about a half hour from now at 7 o'clock, another Padre classic game. You go back to April of 1998, and uh, Steve Finley against his future team uh, would uh, send the folks home happy from uh, the queue and uh, cool game. Obviously just the very start of that season, as you see Kia Tigers manager, Matt Williams go down, but uh, you know, early on, I think it'll be neat to kind of listen to the, the announcers and get a sense of like what was being said about the Padres just a couple of weeks into that game uh, because, excuse me, a couple of weeks into that season, because obviously uh, it ends very, very well. Oh, there's the spoiler. Close your eyes if you don't want to know what happens. But, uh, you know, April of 1998, <laughs> a harbinger of things to come. Sad buck show, Walter. Ah, <laughs> yeah, great. You know, what's what's really cool, and we talked about this a little bit last week. I was looking at the attendance of some of these games early in the season, and there were still ten or 12,000 people coming out to those games early on. And then it was right around this time they go on this big, long winning streak, and the rest of the year it's 35,000, 40,000 people. So this is about the time I think where San Diego was actually starting to believe, hey, there's something special about this ball club, and there certainly was. I think it's pretty cool. The come-from-behind game-winning walk-off grand slam, that's like such a rare occurrence and we've seen two of them in the last two years, Hunter Renfro and Francis or Mejia's, I guess, was not a come from behind, but it's just a, a walk off Grand Slam. It's so it's so rare. And we've seen two of them in the last couple of years, which I think is pretty cool. Renfro against Kenley Jansen and Mejia Sunday afternoon against the Rangers, the interleague. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, that was uh, that was a pretty wild deal. All right, well, uh, scans uh, again. You you win social hour this year with the Wiz hat. You won the race. <laughs> You've all been looking for them. Uh, you got that done. Uh, very 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 impressive. Uh, so thank you for blessing us with its presence and yours. Uh, I'm glad I was able to bring some uh, some some Wiz baseball to life for us, guys. We'll get your hats in the mail to you, and uh, always always fun talking ball with you guys as always. Now here's a question also: When did you get your hands on the hat? Did that coincide with the winning streak? Um, actually, no. The winning streak started prior to the hat getting into my hands, to be honest with you. So sure. as much as I'd like to stick with my story of my actually going down there for a tryout, that never happened. Um, got the hat just in the last 24 hours, and uh, I'm glad that I'm, I'm going to ride the ride it. We'll see if it goes. If it keeps winning, then I'm going to keep winning it, wearing the hat. Absolutely. All right, AJ, we talked about your story, top five bench players in Padre history. What's next in that series? Next up, we'll have uh... – Right-handed starting pitchers and then left-handed starting pitchers and then bullpen. So we're getting to the end of it, but I've, I've had a lot of fun doing it. Everyone's kind of said that they've enjoyed learning these new things about these guys. I am learning new things about the guys. These are not all factoids that I just instantly know doing a lot of research here. And I think it's pretty cool. I want to add one thing. I mean, it's a little baseball nerdy, but if we're an hour into social hour right now, it's, I mean, if there's ever a time to get nerdy, let's do it now. We're talking about triple plays. Every single unassisted triple play in history has been a line out to the shortstop or the second baseman. One thing, and this is a fact that I guess I learned when I was like eight or nine years old, because it makes sense. Line drive to the guy, he tags the runner, he steps on the base. I've always wanted some unassisted triple play in some form that is not that, and we've never seen it in Major League history. So when that happens, I will be the one rejoicing. And now that you are all in on the secret, you can rejoice with me. You know, with with shifting and defensive changes, it, yes. it does open up some possibilities there. Yeah, maybe we could see it. I mean, yeah. or you have a third base playing in. You know, worried about a bunt maybe, and it comes right to him, and there's a guy, and that's the other way that could happen maybe. Ooh, something to think about for the rest of the night. I'm excited. Thank you. <laughs> Actually, what, what AJ is hoping for right there, Jesse, is that somebody will try to bunt with the bases loaded and, and you know, hit into a triple play just like he did, just so he Mine can say, not the big do it too. <laughs> they had to throw the ball around at least to uh, <laughs> okay. to turn three on me. We'll, we'll call that the Casavel when it happens. Uh, thanks again <laughs> to uh, Bob and AJ and everybody hanging out for joining us. Hope you guys uh, enjoyed a little bit of a distraction from the real world talks in baseball. We'll be doing it again tomorrow at 530. Uh, Don and Mud will be on with us on Thursday. I think Mudcat is making a bonus appearance on Social Hour tomorrow. So you certainly don't want to miss that. Have a great night, everybody. And we'll talk to you then. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons 
of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 